technology, I'll work. I'll end up making a mess of it. Don't worry. Okay. We'll do our best. Good morning. Today I want to talk to you about something, but it's going to be in a kind of two ways. I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of my story, but also bring into it a, a little message in the midst of all of that. I was reading some, some very interesting, I love statistics. I don't know why, but I really do love statistics. And I love reading up on things that, statistic ways, they always, they always intrigue me. And I was reading recently that um, a sociologist tells us that um, introverted individual will influence 10,000 people over and during his or her lifetime. And that really interested me. An introverted person will influence over 10,000 people. Most of us, it is said that we'll meet around about 80,000 people in the course of our lives, and many of which we'll probably never meet again. And I was thinking about that recently when I was in London with Merlin, and uh, it's just a huge amount of people. And as I was walking past, looking at all these faces, thinking to myself, I may never see these people again. In fact, I know we'll probably never see them again. It's interesting how many people you will meet along the way. And there was a a survey um, that revealed that Britain, as a nation of chatterboxes, have 27 conversations a day that last 10 minutes. So that says, that that adds up, if if the the maths is right, it says that's 4.5 hours a day that we speak and we have conversations. That's 68 days a year of conversations we have with people. Um, and nobody likes a good old conversation more than I do. <laughs> oh boy, I love a good old chat, me, you know. Um, probably the reason why I became a salesman because I get paid to talk. It's great, I love it. And, you know, I just think, how much influence can you have upon people with all those conversations? How much influence have you had with people over all that time in your life? As I look back on my life, I feel that I, I've been influenced by many people. Um, my parents, teachers, friends, Sunday school teachers, ministers, pastors, managers, family. I've been influenced by a lot of people in my time, some of them good and some of them bad. You know, there are people that I probably shouldn't hang about with, really, because they bring the worst out of me. And it's real easy to do, believe you me. But... You know what? It's about influencing other people, I think, it really. And, and you know what? When I've met some very influential people in my time, some of those have been folks that have went to the churches that I've been involved in. In my last church that I was in, there was a gentleman there, and he fought in the war. And he used to, I used to get sitting beside him when there was coffee time, and we would talk. And I'd say, Eddie, tell me the stories about the war when you were in the war. He said, you know, I was in D-Day. Or sorry, not D-Day. It was the, I, I, he was at Dunkirk and he was being evacuated onto the... Um, he was being evacuated onto the little boats. And he was talking about... I said to him, well, what, what was that like, Eddie? What, what, what was that? You mean, how, how was that? And he said, well, Nigel, what you done is he said, as soon as a boat came in in the water, come in close enough, he says, you ran out and you got onto it. And he says, you can imagine there were thousands upon thousands of soldiers on the beach. And he says, we're all running to get onto these boats and they can only have so many at a time. And the problem was, he said, at night time, he said, the German bombers would come in. You know, he said, they, they would come in and he said, the bullets would be bouncing off the, off the beach as they were coming in. And he said, you'd be running back for cover again. 
And I said, surely to goodness it would have been better at night time, you know. He says, oh, no, no, no. He said, it wasn't. The problem was within the sand there was phosphorus. And he says, when you stood on it, he says, you lit it up. And he said, when you lit it up, he said, they could see it. And as soon as they saw it, he said, he says, you were taking you out. I said, that must have been a frightening experience. He said, Nigel, it was terrible. He says, I watched people being killed around me, he said, and uh, they just lay there and I couldn't do anything for them. He said, I had to look after myself. That influenced me about his stories. He told me about being out in the, in the, the, you know, out in the desert and you know, being in all these various places that he was. An amazing man to talk to. And he's gone home to be with the Lord because he loved the Lord mightily. I love this African proverb and it's brilliant. I really love this. And it says, if you think you're too small to make a difference, you haven't spent a night with a mosquito. <laughs> Who's been on holiday and been bitten alive by a mosquito? The tiny little baggers get you every time, don't they? I mean, I just come up in lumps, so would they all over the place. You're never, you're never too small to make a difference when you haven't spent the night with a mosquito. You think about that. The mosquito makes a difference in a most annoying way, but the principle is the same. One person can stop a great injustice. One person can have a voice for truth. One person's kindness can save a life. And each person's life matters. Isn't that it? Yeah. And you can influence people in the most incredible way by the things that have happened to you in your life. You know what? This is where I want to tell you this. I haven't really talked about this hardly, probably much in my life. But each year about this time, and it is about this time because tomorrow, 49 years ago, I came through one of the most traumatic experiences of my life. 1970. We're in our lovely little house in 48 Henry Street in Portadown. Now, it's gone. Henry Street's all been knocked down. It's a substandard housing. It wasn't its time. But if you want to know where that is, it's in the Town district of Portadown. If you know where Epworth Methodist Church was, and if you walked out through the front door of Methodist Church and walked across the road and just up a little bit, about 20 yards up, and you could turn them to your left, you walked into Henry Street. It's all gone now. We lived there, and it was myself my four brothers and my mum and dad. Our house was all decorated for Christmas. Now Christmas in the Woods household was something to behold. It was amazing. My father absolutely loved Jim Reeves and if you've ever heard him, he's really got one of these wonderful booming voices. And my dad always played his Christmas record every year on the big 45. Oh, amazing. Every time I hear Jim Reeves, in fact, I put it on at Christmas to remind me of what Christmases were like in the Woods household. My mum and dad used to jive. They were great dancers, you know. And they'd be in the middle of the big living room and there they were jiving away to all the music. And we'd have all decorations up. And if you can imagine our house, and, and my, dad was, uh, my dad was a kind of a builder come, you know, handyman. He was brilliant with his hands. So he remodelled our living room to make it massive, much bigger than the rest of the houses. We had a TV in our house, which a lot of people in our street didn't have. And it sat in the corner. And uh, we had all these decorations. And in the old days, going back to, like, you know, 1970s, sort of pre-1960s and what have you. They put streamers up on the ceiling and that this big sort of round paper bell that looked like a melogen, all and balloons everywhere, you know. So, oh, fantastic. And a real Christmas tree. Oh, it was amazing Christmases. We always had great fun, our family. And it, come to the, it was the 30th of December and a knock to the door. I was only six years old now. Okay, so I'm 55 now, so I was six years old then. And uh, not come to the door, and there are three engineers standing at the door from the Portadown Gas and Electric Company. 
and they had come to look at the meter. Apparently there was a problem with it. Now, let me show you what our living room was like. I had a wee picture of it and I forgot to give it to Scott to put it up. It doesn't matter. But the little picture was, the corner over here, my dad had made this lovely little unit and the TV sat on that and the meter was underneath it. The fireplace is right behind me. There was a little cupboard here for all the clothes that were airing. And then big sofa down here, single seater here, and a big seater at the back, and a table that sat in underneath with the stairs went up. And all our toys were in there. The guys came through the front door, kitchen's over there, going into there. And I sat on the little seat here, watching them work at the meter. My mum calls me. Nigel, come get your breakfast. My brothers are all in bed because they're lazy lumps, <laughs> my mother used to say. My mother said, them lazy lumps are all in bed. And while I'm sitting at the table, there's this huge explosion. And the guys that are working at the meters are screaming at the top of their voice, Mrs. Get Out, Mrs. Get Out. My mother runs to the kitchen door, looks into the living room and completely loses it. She grabs the hold of me and brings me, drags me out into the yard, screaming at the top of her voice. What had happened was one of the guys had come in smoking a cigarette. He ignited the gas and the gas set our living room on fire. It set it on fire hugely. It was unreal. I mean, my mother was just in... Oh, I've never seen her so bad in my life. Honestly, I've, I've known her for that length of time in my life, but I'd never seen her so scared in my life. I was so frightened. My mother's screaming. My cousin lives next door to us. My auntie lives on that side. That arouses the attention of what's going on. All of a sudden, my brothers could hear the explosion. Their beds had actually had lifted, apparently. They were telling me, this is years and years we talked about this. And they left, their beds lift up, so they all just literally jump out of bed, get dressed and get out. So no one was hurt on this, but the most extraordinary part of this is our living room is ablaze. The decorations, everything. How do I know? My cousin runs through the flames, runs through the flames, and he grabs a hold of me, and he grabs a hold of my mum, and he drags us through into the living room. I see our living room like I'd never seen the living room before. The seat that I'm sitting on is ablaze. The sofa on this side is ablaze. There's this huge big ball of flames that are hitting the ceiling and there's just curls of smoke going. Everything is alight. And I'm, I'm being pulled through this. Six years of age. When we're pulled out onto the street, the fire engine had arrived. One of those old-fashioned fire engines with the curves down the back, with the big wheels on the on the on the uh, the, the ladder, and the firemen are busy trying to get everything out and get the fire put out. At this stage, the window had busted out onto the street, and there are hordes of people everywhere. So here we are. Our home is a light. And there are people out in the street. I'm only six years old. Anyway, three days later, we find a new home to go and live on, and to live in. And my mum lived there for 47 years. And um, when we arrived at that house, this is the most amazing thing. This is the thing that influenced me probably the most, is the kindness of people. The kindness of people that influenced me the most. The first people who came to our front door was the Salvation Army. I can do this. <laughs> I can do this. And they brought furniture, food, clothes, 
first people to our front door. We had nothing. We lost everything. They brought, and then all these people came. And they brought money, and they brought food. They brought clothes. It was incredible. But it influenced me to see the kindness of people. To this day, I can't help but go back whenever I smell charred wood. Do you know the smell of charred wood when it's been put out and later you smell the smell? Every time I smell that brings me right back to our old house. That brings me right back. It took me years to be able to talk about this. And I'll tell you why, because the trauma of that didn't hit me until I was 12. And I lived in fear every night of the house going to burn. I didn't realise that, that that's post-traumatic stress syndrome. I didn't know. I didn't know then. But every night I would lie in bed. Now you can't imagine, we moved into this little house, there was three bedrooms in it, and no bathroom. So we had to make one of the little box rooms into a bathroom. And the other two rooms, one was for my mum and dad, and the other was for five of us. Two bunk beds and one bed. Now, just to put you in the picture, when that happened on the 30th of December 1970, my eldest brother was 21. That was his birthday. We're going to have a birthday party for him. And my mum had been baking and doing all sorts of stuff for it. And she had a big Christmas tree and she took the Christmas tree out and she put it in the garden out the back. And she said to me, you know what the problem was, son? It's bad luck to take the Christmas tree out before Christmas. <laughs> we always take our Christmas tree down before Christmas, she say. But we always do it over. We're going to do it tomorrow. <laughs> We're taking Christmas down. It's terrible. Bah, humbug. But anyway... Um, <laughs> She said to me one time, she says to me, what are you doing? I says, oh, we're taking the Christmas decorations. Oh, she says, we're taking the Christmas tree down before Christmas. Son, that's how our house went on fire because of that. I says, mum, I'm not under the authority of, of superstition. I'm under the authority of God. Hallelujah. That experience for me was traumatic when I was 12 years old. That post-traumatic stress syndrome hit me then. Every night I would lie in bed in total fear the house was going to burn again. How did I deal with that? There wasn't counsellors there to take you to one side and have a wee chat with you, you know, or people to build you up. They didn't have that sort of thing in those days. I prayed. As a child, I prayed. The influence of a Sunday school teacher who used to talk about prayer. Jennifer Doonan was an amazing Sunday school teacher. She was the lady who later on in life at 19 years of age that I gave my life to the Lord. She, her words were going through my head. I prayed every night. I said, Lord, will you look after this house and would you, would you care and look after and keep us, keep us safe? You see, that prayer as a 12-year-old child, that gave me such a sense of security to the very point that I could go to sleep at ease, knowing God was with us. Those are life experiences. That life experience was traumatic for me. To see our house burning was a traumatic experience. You've got to imagine everything we got that Christmas was all destroyed in that fire. Everything, anything we had got destroyed, all got burned. I'd never seen anything so devastating in my life. And that's why whenever I hear somebody's home has been burned, I have such tremendous amount of sympathy for them. And if I can, I usually try and help by contributing towards them. To this very day, I contribute to the Salvation Army. They're amazing people.
there's a running joke in our house. <laughs> there's a running joke in our house. I'm Mr. Health and Safety. And, and I am Mr. Health and Safety. And I do look at things and I do see dangers. Perhaps it came back from that time. I don't know. I couldn't tell you. I don't know. I just seem to see dangers and I seem to see things. And I'm always questioning things. And, and you know, I was in a shop and they had, you know with those shops we go into and the cards and the balloons and they blow them up and, you know, the helium. And the, the tank was something on its own. And I went to the lady and I said, you know, you really should have that tied up. Because in one of the showrooms that I worked in, one of the companies that I worked for, one of our showrooms, a child walked up to a fireplace that they were installing and pulled the fireplace down on top of itself and it got killed. And so dangerous are the things that I look for. You're influenced by the things that happen to you. How do you make that influence do to the good? Well, I want you to turn with me, if you will, please, to Psalm 96. If you would turn to Psalm 96 for me, please. This is a fabulous psalm. This is, this is, I've read it so many times and it, that really blesses me every time. Psalm 96. I'm going to read all of it. It's 30, 13 um, verses in that. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord praises and praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord his glory due his name. And bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in splendor of his holiness. And tremble before him in all the earth. Say among the nations the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established, it cannot be moved. And he will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. They will sing before the Lord, for he comes and his and he comes to judge the earth and he will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his truth. You know, that's a significant piece of scripture because I want to wove that in. In fact, even Scott's um, word from Philippians and, and even David coming up from Corinthians as well. I mean, all that stuff, I can't get over it. I, I'm sitting going, wow, this is just all marrying into the word of faith and influence that you can have among other people. And here in Psalm 96 is a great hymn of celebration of how God's kingship over creation and here he is he here we are being called to influence all the world to worship God with all kinds of people who should worship him and in Genesis chapter 12 verse 3 it says that they are they were blessed to be a blessing how about that they are blessed to be a blessing. They are called to use their influence for the, God, for the good of all nations. God has chosen us as a church and a people to be a blessing. 
We are blessed to bless other people. And as it says in Genesis chapter 3, we are blessed to be a blessing. So you are blessed to be a blessing. You, you're, your job is to go out there and influence people as Christians. And you can do it in a, in a big way. You can be the world's greatest evangelist out there. You could be a Billy Graham out there and, you know, bless people. I remember sitting at a meeting one night when I was in, 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 my, in our former church in Thomas Street and I was in leadership there. And we had this lovely minister, oh, an absolute gentleman, completely and absolutely given over to organised time. Everything had to be time slotted. And dare the Holy Spirit begin to work and you think you'd sing another extra hymn, he'd call you on it. You'd have got the finger. But he was a lovely man. I loved him. He married us, actually, when we were there. And um, one of the guys in the church didn't like him. And at this meeting, he used it as an opportunity to hit the man. He had to go with his preaching. He had to go at his teaching. Um, I was absolutely appalled. I couldn't get over that this man was being attacked in the way that he was. And we were all about to jump on board and, you know, defend him. And he did this most amazing thing. I tell you what, it completely brought a situation from up here down to there in which he said, you know something, I would have loved to be been a Billy Graham. I would have loved to be been the Billy Graham to lead thousands to the Lord. Millions even for that. But I'm afraid I'm not that person. He said, I'm a one-to-one. I love going to people one-to-one. And he led many people to the Lord on a one-to-one by influencing them, by being blessed himself to bless others. And that's what we're called to be. In Psalm 96, the key thing in all of this is worship. In verse 1, you know, what does it say? It says here in verse 1, it says, sing to the Lord, doesn't it? Bring, you know, learn new songs and be creative. I think that says sing a new song. There's Aaron. He gets us all singing new songs all the time, doesn't he? Mm. Oh, do you know what? I used to really hate teaching people new songs in church. They're always like the usual, you know. They'd be looking at you going, oh. <laughs> <sighs> And yet one day I was sitting in Thomas Street and I was listening to the people singing these songs and guess what? I taught them all these new songs. King of Kings. How deep the Father's love. I went through them all. I taught them all these songs. I brought them to them. And they were all now firm favourites. But you see, when I was learning those new songs, I was teaching them, they hated it. <laughs> Don't worry if they sing these new songs. Don't like these new songs. And now they love them. I bring a new song. God says in, 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 in verse 1, he says, bring us a new song. Sing Sing, 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 worship. He loves worship. God loves us to worship. I love worshipping. Love worshipping. Love to sing. I love it. And that's what is important to God, that we worship. And it's interesting to see in verse 3 of Psalm 96 that he has a multinational focus calling all inhabitants of the earth to sing to the Lord and declare the victory among the nations. Isn't that good? Isn't that good that God says it's for all people? Isn't it? All nationalities, all around. I don't know about you, have you ever been to Africa and heard the people worship out there? Oh, I tell you what, that's blessed. Oh, my word, that is so, so, so good. Oh, I tell you what, it was so funny to see whenever we were there. It was, well, Jesus 29, so it was 29 years ago that I was in Africa. And what they used to do was the offering. 
and you didn't, you know, they didn't come round and hand you a wee basket and you put your money in it. You had to go up to the front, two tables, two baskets, and everybody sang, and off you went. Sang, and you went up, <laughs> dancing up to the front. Now, we're talking very conservative Northern Ireland people here. I come from very conservative <laughs> Methodist church. No dancing. <laughs> Believe it or not, in the rules of the Methodist church then, they had this rule that said there'd be no dancing in Methodist properties. That was an actual fact. Because I tried to organise a... a, a I tried to organise a barn dance one night and was told to be no dancing, so I had to change it to a I had to change it to a social. Got away with it. Semantics with words, great. Anyway, um, we had to go and dance, and it was great. I really got into it. My other conservative friends who were there struggled a wee bit with it. So, you know, when somebody doesn't really like dancing, but they're trying to do it, and it looks really like, well, I got videos of this. So there's this big guy, Willie. I knew, and there he was. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I asked him, "Was he? Are you doing reggae, man? You know, <laughs> God, God loves it when we worship Him, right? And it's this multinational thing. So when you go from 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 different nationalities to different nationalities, and how they do it, the Africans do it brilliantly. I love how they do it, and the natural harmony that they have that comes in over, and they sing all these beautiful old Methodist hymns, and I'm just in wonder." I'm just lost in wonder. Here they are singing these most beautiful old Methodist hymns like I've never heard them. You see, the first Sunday I came back to the Methodist church in Portadown, what a come down it was. Wow, bang, down the ground. Oops, you're back home again, lad. You know, amazing. Then also, if you look on through it, it says it calls us to witness, to shout the news of victory from sea to sea. And then it says, in that same psalm, it says the earth, it tells us to go out and influence the world. Now, there, there are three commands within that, in that psalm, and, and they're absolutely amazing if you look at it. It tells us to sing in verse 1. It tells us to ascribe in verse 7. It tells us to say and tell the world in verse 10. Absolutely incredible. Sing, ascribe, and say. Announce the Lord's name. Go out and sing it. Really belt it out there. Give it for all that you're worth. I think that is just absolutely incredible. And um, flicking over. Then it calls, it also, it, it, it administers to the Gentiles as well. If you look at all the earth, all the nations and all the people. All the, all the earth, all the nations, all the people. The application here is never become inward looking. That's the application I think for us here. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some people who fall down in some of the experiences that they've had in life. The one that I have was a tremendous, for me personally, it was one of the, probably the, one of the most anxious, one of the most disturbing things that I've ever seen. I still can't bring myself to bring gas into our house. Marlene had talked to me recently about it because ferments were up and they'd done some work in Princess Way and they put new pipework in and they offering big deals, you know what I mean, to put a, a gas boiler in. And I'm thinking, you know. Mind you, when I was plumbing, I, 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 I piped gas into people's houses and I used the gas blow lamp and everything else, but still that little thing there, it's in the back of my mind. It's not a big thing. But what's the application here? Bring it to the world. Let's not look inwardly or be self-indulgent. Let's be outward focused. Bring the blessing. We've been blessed to bless other people. And let's bless the others. The world is 
um, out there for us to use to go out and, and bring our experiences and our influences. Just think of how many people we might influence in our lives. It's, it's an estimated thought of about 80,000 people in our lives. When, when, when we consider, for some of you have jobs in here, how many people you influence. David's a teacher. How many people has this man influenced over the years that he's been teaching? Linda was a, was a dentist. How many people has she influenced over that? And the many people she's influenced now in the job that she has. Judith's a teacher. How many children will she influence over all, that, over all those years? You know what I mean? Think about all the rest of us and the jobs we have. I've worked in building sites. I've worked in a showroom selling. I've talked to thousands and thousands of people. I've preached in many places. That's a sobering thought. What will you do to bless the rest of the world when you're blessed to, you know, to, to be blessing the rest of the world. Your influence will do one thing, as it says in Ecclesiastes in chapter 9, verses 14 to 17, when Solomon wrote um, this. And he, he really is telling us that we can plant seeds through our influence. And you really do do that because you have no idea what's going to go on. In fact, you won't know until you get to heaven the things that you've probably done. And Solomon wrote, one wise person can save a city. True Absolutely amazing. And he's talking about the situation that he was in there where a poor man comes along. Um, in fact, I'll, I'll just read that for you, actually. I think it'd be good to read that. If you want to turn with me to Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 9, and it's verses 14 to 17. Um, and there was once a small, uh, a small city with only a few people in it, and a powerful king came against it and surrounded it and built a huge siege works against it. And now there lived in the city a man poor but wise. And he saved the city by his wisdom. But nobody remembered that poor man. So I say wisdom is better than strength. But the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are no longer needed or heeded. Quiet words of a wise man are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. And so one wise man's words, one person's influence can change a mountain of things out there. It's incredible. You are blessed to bless other people. From my experience of a child at six years of age comes my wonderful faith in prayer. Because I'm always saying to you in this church, pray, 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 pray. And pray and pray more. The more you pray, the better it gets. The more you pray in your life, the better it gets. The harder things become in your life, the more you pray, the better it gets. Because God honours your prayer. Because as a child of 12, my simple childlike faith, God honoured that. That's the amazing thing, isn't it? And thus it blesses me all the time when I look back on that. God honoured my prayers. And it's when, we, when I went into marriage with Marilyn and when we had our children, I prayed over them. I prayed every aspect of their life. I've, I've told you this before and I'm not going to go over it again, but you've heard that story, which is why we are where we are today. I believe God honoured my faith in him and blessed me. And, he has, and I keep continually telling God, thank you for all that you give to me because he's so good. And then as he blesses me, may I bless you today. And as we go into 2020, then let's go out there and bless the world. May I encourage you to be a blessing to everyone around you. And like I've said to you before, you can influence people in the most incredible way. And like I've said, there's people I shouldn't be around. 
There are people that influence me in a bad way. There's some in this church, and I'm not going to mention their names. There's some in this church, and I'm not going to mention their names. So I'm not. But I know I should stay away from them. They're a very bad influence on me. But perhaps maybe I should influence them to be good. But I can't help deal up the badness. I just can't help it. I love a laugh. I have to say, I do love a laugh. And funny, I was talking to someone recently that I worked with years and years ago, and we were going through all the stuff, that, you know, and one of the guys said to me, you were a bad rascal. You were a bad man. I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, you do, he says. Do you remember the day you blew us up? <laughs> Using settling and oxygen in a plastic bag in a box and light and lit it, and um, he said... <laughs> He said the two guys that were sitting nearby he said they were in shock. He had to go and get them tea and everything because they were. It was such a bad way. I didn't realise this, but I do know now. <laughs> Feel bad about that. Anyway, we can influence people in the most incredible way. May I influence you today to become a blessing to others? We are blessed to bless others. God bless you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for this amazing place called Table church lord this is an incredible place with incredible people who are incredibly blessed and talented lord and gifted by you lord i just pray that you will use these people use us as a church lord as 2020 comes in lord may we see this church increase with people who need you most of all lord may we get round people it's not about numbers lord it never was for me anyway but it's never about numbers it's about people who need you father May we go out and find those people. May we bring them to our church. Lord, surround them and cover them in the blood of the Lamb. May we love them, Lord, through all the difficulties and the things that they're going through. Lord, may we be a blessing as you've blessed us to bless them. Father, thank you for blessing us as a church. Thank you for the fellowship and the friendship and the fun and the laughter that we have here. Now, Lord, we pray for our church this year. Bless us in the new year that comes. Father, thank you for all that you do. Bless David and Linda, Lord, as they lead us. Lord, I pray that you will encourage them. And Lord, I pray that you will, Lord, influence them. I pray, Father, that you will reinvigorate them, Lord, and, and give them great, Lord, give them a great desire, Father, to see even greater things happen. And Lord, while you bless that, will you bless them to see greater things happening too? Lord, bless us all as a church. Cover us in the blood of the Lamb. Surround us with your mighty warrior angels, Lord. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.